Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, the S&P 500 Index, trading at a record right now. It is up 11 points to 2140, a gain there of five-tenths of one percent. Dow Industrials up 111 points to 18,257, a gain of six-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ up 39 points to 49.96, a gain of eight tenths of one percent. The tenure down 21.30 seconds, looking at a yield there of 1.42 percent. Gold down a dollar 80 the ounce to 13.56, a drop there of 0.1 percent. And crude oil back below 45 dollars a barrel, down 80 cents right now. That is a drop of 1.8 percent. West Texas Intermediate crude at 44 dollars and 60 cents. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. A new prime minister by Wednesday evening. That's what David Cameron announced in a brief statement outside his official residence in central London. She's strong. She's competent. She's more than able to provide the leadership our country will need in the years ahead as he gets ready to step aside. Uh, a step he announced as soon as the vote to leave the European Union from the U.K. was a done deal, and I'm talking about Home Secretary Theresa May. So how is this going to play out? Markets seem to be happy. The pound is rising. Let's ask Rob Hutton, U.K. government and politics reporter for Bloomberg News in London. So, Rob, uh, tell us, first of all, about Theresa May. Well, uh, she's a vicar's daughter, clergyman's daughter. She's uh, 59 years old. She's been Home Secretary for six years. Um, I don't think there's a direct equivalent to that job in America, but she's responsible for uh, crime, policing, the security services, lots of stuff that has traditionally meant that Home Secretaries have to resign. And uh, not only has she uh, has she not had to resign, she's, um, she's flourished in that role. She's... Uh, her pitch for the leadership was she's experienced, she's a steady pair of hands at a dangerous time. So, so basically her message is steady hand on the tiller. All right, steady hands on the tiller. What are going to be some of the most uh, pressing issues for her when she assumes the premiership? 
Well, it's a horrible job. It's a horrible job being Prime Minister, and it's a particularly horrible job at the moment. Uh, the next Prime Minister is going to have to negotiate Britain's exit from the European Union, which means, uh, first of all, dealing with, um, dealing with European allies and trying to persuade them that they want to give Britain all the things that, that Britain wants, which they don't. And then it means satisfying all the different demands of different people who wanted to leave the European Union, who all had different ideas about what it meant. And then it means finally satisfying uh, all of her parliamentary backbenchers, some of whom are quite obsessed with this subject. And broadly, as, as someone famously put it, the thing about Tory Eurosceptics is that they won't take yes for an answer. <laughs> so what else can you tell us about her policy positions? What do we know about her? I mean, to what extent would you say, well, Kathleen, just look at the, the parties, see what they stand for. To what extent do you have to really know what she has done and said in the past and what it means for the future? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, ideally, I was saying to someone this morning before all of this happened that, uh, that every candidate wants to get through the, uh, the leadership election without promising anything. And, uh, and, of course, because it's ended so abruptly this morning, her rival dropped out. Uh, she's achieved that. So there's all sorts of areas where we don't really know very much about what she thinks. We know that she campaigned against Brexit, but to be honest, not very hard and, to be honest, can probably live with it. Uh, we know that on law and order, she's been quite firm. She, uh, she had issues with human rights lawyers about various things. Uh, but she's also, in lots of ways, she's a, she's a modernizing conservative. Theresa May has done two really politically brave things in her life. The first was in 2002, when she stood up and told the Conservative Party that people saw them as the nasty party. Now, that was true, but they didn't like it, and a lot of them have never really forgiven her for, for that harsh truth. And the second, the second really brave thing that she did was in, in 2014, she stood up in front of the police federation, the police officers' trade union, and told them that they had to change. She said, it's not just a few bad apples. There is a, there is a cultural problem with Britain's police, and they didn't like that at all. So she is capable, she has the inner steel when she wants it, to deliver really hard truths to people. Well, delivering hard truths and delivering on campaign promises might be two different things. I'm wondering if she has the temperament and the leadership skills to turn the Brexit vote into something positive for people in Britain. I, that's a, I mean, that is, that is a $100 million question. Um, I, I, the problem that we have with Brexit, essentially, is, is that, and it, it's articulated quite well in her campaign, she says she has two priorities in the negotiations. The first is to maintain Britain's access to the single market. That's really important for Britain's economy. We sell an awful lot of stuff in Europe. And the second is to, to end free movement of European citizens uh, to, to the UK. Now, if you ask anyone, any European official. They say those two things go together. You can't have one without the other. So how will she... That there, is, there is an unstoppable force and an immovable object. And where will she compromise? Probably she can't compromise on free movement. But if she, if she doesn't, then she will have to go back. And here, here is her slight problem. She is hamstrung by the campaign commitments of a group of people that didn't include her. The Leave campaign said, we can have both of those things. We can absolutely have both of those things. And various people said, I don't think we can. But the Leave campaign said, no, no, we can. Now, if it turns out they're wrong, it may be that because she wasn't one of them, she has an opportunity. She can say, look, I told you those people weren't telling you the truth. You know, and here we are. 
But the problem is that a lot of the people on her own side will say, oh, well, you didn't try hard enough. If only you just tried a bit harder, pushed a bit harder, been a bit more optimistic, you could have got the things that we said that you could get. So there is both an opportunity and a problem for her. Well, uh, in your story, Rob, uh, you uh, highlight the fact that in her speech, May set out a pitch for leadership that moved to occupy the center ground, recognizing that many voters feel insecure and left behind by globalization, promising crackdowns on high corporate pay and tax avoidance. Interesting. Yes. No. So, 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 Theresa May sees an opportunity. The other thing that's going on in British politics is the opposition Labour Party is in an implosion all of its own. Uh, they had a, they had a. It was characteristic of the Labour Party that they had their big moment um, was a challenge to uh, to their leader today, and it was overshadowed by the Tory leadership. They actually have people walking out of the Labour press conference in order to go and cover the Tory one. So the Tory, the Labour Party is just just nowhere in British politics at the moment, and for the right. Tory leader, there is a huge opportunity, not just to be the, the party of the right, but to be the party of everyone. Uh, so, and, and Theresa May was very firmly making that pitch, even before she won unopposed, saying, saying that the Tory party has to, has to speak for people who, who are struggling, people who are not as well off as they were 10 years ago, uh, people who are worried about their jobs, people who are worried, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who feel that way. There's a lot of people who, for whom the economy hasn't been brilliant. There's a lot of people who look at high pay and say, well, these guys get paid even when they fail, and I, I don't even get paid when I succeed. What's going on? So she, she wants to pitch for all of those voters. Now, again, the problem is that a lot of, a lot of the things that people want may be hard to achieve, but, uh, but that's her ambition. Are there specific industries that you foresee doing better with Britain outside of Europe, for example, in the agriculture industry? I think industries that don't, the, the, the main focus is on industries that will do worse. Um, uh, industry, industries that don't directly trade with the EU uh, will be better off. There's an interesting question as to what happens to Britain's farmers. Um, at the moment, they get an awful lot of subsidies from the EU. Now, again, they were promised that all of those will stay if we leave. But the Treasury has always eyed those subsidies and said, is, you know, really should we be paying farmers to not farm terribly efficiently? So if I were a farmer, I don't know how confident I would be. I know the sugar industry is, is quite pleased that... that we're leaving. There are certain there are certain niche products. People who people who principally deal with America, fishing the fishing industry is hoping that Britain leaving means Britain can reclaim its its fishing territory. But again, it may be too late for that. The the stocks may already be depleted. This may be uh, a bit too specific for Theresa May <laughs> to be for us to be asking about now. But you know, um, uh, the the pro uh, Brexit side was saying that Mark Carney, who's the head of the Bank of England, should step down, that he was, you know, politicizing the the vote, being far too draconian about how they hard were. it would hit the economy. They were, weren't they? Do you think they were? They, they backed away from that a bit. They backed away from that a bit in the last couple of weeks. I think when when Brexit happened and the pound plunged and the stock market plunged, uh, though it's come back up a bit since, there was a there was a, a realization among the Brexiteers that actually possibly what you don't want immediately after you win your vote is a sense of total panic and chaos. So at that point they uh, they they backed away, and as as there was a period where Mark Carney appeared to be the only government that Britain had, um, 
I can't see Theresa May getting rid of him. Her entire pitch for the leadership was everybody calm down. Nothing dramatic is going to happen. I'm going to be in charge and nothing's going to happen. So I can't see her doing something like that. Whether Mark Carney will want to stay, of course, you know, he's a Canadian. He's got a passport. He can leave. Um, (laughs) It's a different question. But I can't see her throwing him out. Thank you very much for spending time with us and illuminating this issue. Rob Hutton, UK government and politics reporter for Bloomberg. The pound sterling trades right now at $1.30. You're listening to Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox, my co-host Kathleen Hayes, and this is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.